Okay, Philippians chapter 2. By the way, I can think of a few things greater than seeing kids being raised in the Lord. Amen? Amen. What a blessing. Man, I love that. I love when I hear that Christian, the Christian couples are having babies because that means they're going to be taught about Jesus from the time they can open their eyes. That's a blessing. All right, let me catch you up real quick. If you're new here at Calvary Chapel, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. And we come to the second half of Philippians chapter 2 this morning. By the way of review, let me catch up and tell you what's been happening thus far. Philippi was a city where the Apostle Paul had planted a church many years previous. Now he's writing them a letter in response to a gift that was sent to him. A gift was sent to him by the hands of a man by the name of Epaphroditus, who we're going to talk about today. And when that gift came to him, he then turned around and wrote this letter that is filled with great joy responding to this gift that was given. Now that sounds very reasonable until you understand where Paul was when he wrote this letter. Now where was he? He was in prison. And you know what, when I'm in prison, I'm thinking joy is not probably the most prolific word coming out of my mouth. But this is the epistle or the letter of joy. Nineteen times the word joy comes out, written by a man sitting in prison. Not only sitting in prison, but he's about to face Caesar Nero. You've all heard of Nero, right? He was a wild man, a crazy man. It's even, the, even the world knows that. The secular world recognizes how out of control Nero was. And that's where Paul was, about to face Nero with the very clear realization that he might die. That he might be losing his head any day now. And Paul's writing a letter filled with joy. I think my letter might say, help! Get me out of here! Hire an attorney! Write something, right? And the truth is that Paul was in prison even unjustly. They had no real legal reason to hold him. And yet he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And he has no focus on himself, but only to minister to the people in the, in the city of Philippi. Now, as we've been looking at so far, we talk about joy. In the first chapter, we saw how to have joy in our circumstances. How do we have joy in our circumstances? By focusing on the Lord. By being single-minded. When you set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth, the circumstances of this world will fade in comparison. So we saw chapter 1 was all about, again, esteeming God greater than ourselves, desiring Jesus above all else, making Him first and foremost in our life. Philippians 1.21 is my life's verse where it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That doesn't mean Jesus is first in my life. It means He's first, He's tenth, He's one hundredth, He's one thousandth, and He's every number in between. Jesus Christ is my life. That's what Paul said. And he said, you know what? And to die, it's only going to get better. You can't threaten Christians with heaven as we're going to talk about this morning. Christians die well because we know where we're headed. Amen? And so chapter 1 is all about joy in your circumstances. Then we come to chapter 2, and it's about having joy in spite of people. And people absolutely can rob us of our joy. Amen? Co-workers, bosses, spouses sometimes, right? I mean, people just can just bring you down. And we see the example of how to have joy in spite of people, and that begins with the example of Jesus Christ Himself. You know, Jesus, it says in, in the earlier part of the chapter, he humbled himself. He emptied himself and he came to earth and he humbled himself and he took on humanity. So we talked about joy. How do we have joy? It's Jesus, others, yourself. Too many of us have yoj, right? Yourself, 
then somebody else and Jesus somewhere, right? And the point is you're not going to have joy until you put Jesus first. And you're going to struggle with people as long as you're esteeming yourself greater than others. This is why the whole model of, you know, the self-esteem stuff today. What a lie. We esteem ourselves too stinking much. That's the problem. Don't we? I'm always on my mind. I'm always thinking about me. How about you? And we walk out of the door thinking everybody's checking us out. They're not checking you out. They're thinking about themselves. And we think we got to, your problem is you have low self-esteem. No, your problem is you esteem yourself too much. We need to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him and esteem Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So here it is. You want to have joy in spite of people. You know what? Put Jesus first and put others next and yourself last. And you know what? The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. You find out if you're really a servant when somebody starts treating you like one. How do you respond then? Who do you think you are? Do you know who you're talking to? Yes, a servant. Amen? Yeah. You, you know, and we start to have this attitude. And the point is, if we want to have joy, we've got to put Jesus first and then put others above ourselves and look, follow that example of Jesus Christ. Now, two weeks ago, because last week we had a special message, but two weeks ago, we looked at verses 5 through 11, uh, excuse me, verse 12 through 16, and when the title of the message was Shining as Lights in the World, and we began to see the example that Paul gave. And Paul said in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. Often people read verse 12 and they stop and they teach a works-based salvation. Work out your own salvation. You've got to earn it. The Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Ever anybody say that? The Bible says that nowhere. Not in the Bible. It's right next to cleanliness, it's next to godliness, which is also not in the Bible. And it's often, you know, people like to quote stuff and be real authoritative with it, but it's not in God's Word. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who fall on their face before Him. That's what needs to happen is brokenness and repentance and reaching out to Almighty God. And so it says here, work out your own salvation. So what does that mean? As God works in you, it should be coming out of you. That's what it means. He doesn't say work for your salvation or work on your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Guys, as we're born again and filled with the Spirit of the living God, it ought to be coming in this way and going out that way. We ought to be spending intimate time with the Lord, and as we do, and we fall in love with Him, it needs to come in here and spill out on everybody around us. And so the key here is that when we work out our salvation, it says there to do it with fear and trembling. One of the biggest problems in the world today is there's not enough reverence for God. Who agrees with that? Not enough reverence for God. People mock God. They've turned His name into a cuss word. Nobody ever says, oh, Buddha. I've yet to hear it. Swear to Muhammad, I've never heard that one time. But people take Jesus' name in vain all the time. They turn our Savior's name into a cuss word. There's no reverence for God. We work out our salvation as we come before Him in fear and reverence and awe and wonder of His greatness. You know what? There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not Him. Amen? And the truth is you will never be Him and you will never be equal to Him. He's God and He always will be and aren't you glad? Amen? And so we need to have reverence and awe for Him. And we work out our salvation, that sanctification process. We talked about this, justification, just as if you've never sinned. 
When you're born again, it's just as if you've never sinned. Then we, we go through what is called the sanctification process. We're becoming more and more like Jesus until one day we will be glorified. How do we work out our salvation? We have intimate fellowship with the Lord. Guys, what you're going through right now, the, tr- the trials, the struggles, the difficulties, they're not in your life by chance. Did God know they were coming? What's the answer? Of course he did. Did God know the answer to that is always yes, whatever comes after that, amen? So God knows, and he knew it was coming into your life, and it says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. My wife's favorite verse in the Bible. We work inside out. It's not outside in. It's not doing better so I can walk more holy. It's falling in love with Jesus so I can live a set-apart life. It's from the inside out. Again, how do I know the difference between my will, my desire, and God's will? Because my will will always please me, and God's will will always honor Him. And guys, that's where we come to this morning. Now, I want to say, because this verse, two weeks ago, everybody said, when you said that, I didn't hear anything else, so I better repeat it. The Bible says in verse 14 of this chapter, do all things without complaining and murmuring. Ouch. So guess what? We work out our salvation. We live a life set apart to God, and that means we should not be complaining about anything. Because it says do all things. The word all there in the Greek means all. So do all things without murmuring and complaining. You know, murmuring and complaining is not becoming of a Christian. You know what it says? It starts to question and doubt God. Is God in control? Is he faithful? Does he love you guys? Does he know what's best for you? What do you got to complain about? Are you going to heaven? What do you got to complain about? Amen? And we murmur and we complain and it blows our testimony before the world. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. You know what? We should not be murmuring. We should not be... complaining and then it says in verse 15 that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world you know what we become blameless and harmless and innocent when we keep from murmuring and complaining who's the biggest group of murmurers you've ever seen in the Bible who were they if you've been coming on Wednesday night three million of them children of Israel murmuring whining complaining 40 years. Nice church to pastor. Thanks for being Moses, right? No thanks. Pastor in the worst church in the history of the world. Three million whiners. They all wanted to go back to Egypt. They all wanted to vote him out. That's why we don't have voting at Calvary Chapel. You might vote me out. We're not doing that, all right? Ain't happening, okay? And here, the, the problem is that men will blow it. And praise God again that God has called you and I. You know, we ought to be the happiest, most joyful people on the planet. Why? Not because of the stuff we have, but because of who we know. You know, I was a youth pastor for years, and I used to have a lot of gangbangers, especially down in Southern California, my youth group, and they would get dragged to youth group by their parents or somebody. They'd be talking to me about their homies, and homie got my back. And I'd say, you know what? Creator of the universe got my back. How about that? My my homie put the stars in the sky. How about that? And you know what? We need, we need to understand why we should have joy because who it is that we know in an intimate and a personal way. Who it is that we have a relationship with. There should be no murmuring, no complaining. And then verse 16, and we'll get to our text this morning, holding fast to the word of life 
so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain or have labored in vain. Paul's saying, I want you to hold fast to the word of life so what was taught to you and what I shared with you will not have been in vain. Guys, it's God's word that will transform your life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. The problem, again, that we see so often in the church today is where people are teaching books about the Bible or, or seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger instead of just teaching the Word of God. It's God's Word that transforms life, not man's opinion. Amen? You don't want to see something really scary? Go through the spiritual calendar in the Santa Cruz Sentinel sometime. Oh, man. I was looking at it yesterday. I don't know why I do that to myself. Come... Explore your inner body and being through the transcendental something, whatever, nine steps to the what. Man, it's just nauseating. And you know what? It breaks my heart that there are people there this morning doing that. You know what? Every believer this side of heaven ought to be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? That would be our passion. We ought to love them. We ought to reach out to them. We need to see them saved. Let's be praying for them. And you know what? We need to shine our light when we get to work, not just the church on Sunday. So... We come to verse 17. Quite an introduction, I know, but it had been a couple weeks. I know you forgot everything, so that's why we did it. Now, in this morning's text, I love this because we're going to see three men and the examples that they have of being humble and being submitted. Jesus, others, yourself. We're going to see three men's examples. We're going to see men who sought to glorify God, not themselves. Men who sought to serve others, not to be served. Men who are willing to lay down their lives here and now to reach and impact others for eternity. Men whose eternal focus impacted their thoughts, their actions, and their attitudes. I've said it many times, I'll say it again. Our belief ought to impact our behavior. If it doesn't, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. If you believe it, it'll impact what you be, how you behave. If you really believe that Jesus Christ could come back any day, do you think you'd be a little more prolific in your witnessing? What's the answer? Of course. If Almighty God came in the corner this morning, and if He did, we'd all drop dead because we couldn't be in His presence. But if He did, and He said, I'm coming in a week, would you live any different? Just maybe. Right? Hopefully everything would change. And the point is that He could come back in a week. Amen? And we ought to live every day. Again, we need to go to work. We need to provide for our families. God's called us to do that. But we ought to be not just go witnessing, but be witnesses wherever we go. So, we're going to take a look at these, these three men. First, we're going to look at Paul, who saw death not as something to be feared, but something to be rejoiced in. Then we're going to see Timothy, who was willing to go wherever there was going to be a need. And then finally, Epaphroditus, who was willing to put aside his own comfort and lay down his life to serve others. May we learn from these examples of these three men. Let's begin in verse 17. You taking notes? Title the message, the impact of intimate fellowship. The impact of intimate fellowship. One thing that I talk about most often in counseling, I'll ask somebody, how's your prayer life? And the answer is almost always not very good. How's your time in the Word? Not too much. How much fellowship do you have? Not a whole lot. You know why? Because people who typically, not always, but people who are in the Word and in fellowship and seeking the Lord in prayer typically don't need to come talk to Pastor Dave about anything. You know what? I always ask people this. Have you talked to God about it first? Talk to Him first. He's got way better answers than me. Amen? Talk to Him first. Seek Him first. 
And so we come to the text this morning, and we're going to talk about impact of, an int- of intimate fellowship with God. First thing it does is it impacts the way we see death. Look at verse 17. An, int- an intimate fellowship with God impacts the way that we see death. It says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Here's what he's saying. Poured out as a drink offering. Now, priests in the, in the Old Testament times, with the sacrifice, they had a gla- uh, some wine that they would pour out with the sacrifice at the foot of the altar. Now, that is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out from the cross. And it was a drink offering that was poured out. And he's saying, if I am being poured out, so what is he saying? If I am going to be put to death, if I am going to die, I'm really bummed out and it's just not fair. Is that what he says? What he says is, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now you would say, what's wrong with this guy? He has no fear of death and it even sounds like he, he might even want to die. Guess what? Again, Christians die well you know what paul knew that his life was near an end and he, he, he's not going to die immediately god's going to deliver him this time but not not many few years later he's going to be decapitated he's going to lose his life but paul understood that for me to live is christ and to die is gain and so for him there was nothing you could threaten him with that would take away his joy he continued to have joy he says in Philippians 1, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Guys, do you think heaven's better than earth? It's way better. Amen? Way better. And you know what? We act like sometimes like it's way worse. We cling on, and again, we are to be faithful and obedient, and God is the only one that determines when we die. We don't take our life or, you know, do stupid things and risk, again, tempt God with the way that we behave. But we ought to look forward to heaven, not be afraid of death. Paul was ready to die if the Lord willed, because he knew that if he died, he would be in the presence of Almighty God. Read this illustration one time, years ago. An African impala can leap 10 feet when he's running at full speed. But when you go to the zoo, you'll see that there's only a four-foot fence around the impala cage. That ought to concern you a little bit. They can jump 10 feet. It's only four feet high. You know what, though? An impala will not jump when he cannot see where he's going to land. He won't jump. He doesn't know that there's flat ground right behind the fence. He doesn't know if he jumps, he's not going to go straight down a cliff. So he won't jump. You know what? As Christians, we know where we're going to land. Amen? And we should not be afraid. We should not have fear about what is beyond this life. 2 Corinthians tells us that Paul was caught up into the heavens and it was given a sneak preview of heaven. And what he saw was good for him, so good, so good to him, he, he couldn't put it into words. He came back and he said, I can't even describe it to you. Now, I believe it happened when he was stoned to death at Lystra. Remember at Lystra, he was witnessing, they took him outside the city gate and they threw rocks at him until he died? Now some people believe they left him for dead, he wasn't really dead. I believe he was dead and that's when he saw heaven. And that explains why he went right back into Lystra after that and started witnessing again. Go ahead, throw some rocks at me. I know where I'm going. You can't threaten me with heaven, it's all good, I've seen it. 
And it's way better than this place. And you know what? When we have an eternal perspective, there's not going to be any fear. Not going to be anxiety. Not going to be worry. Whether he lived or died, it didn't matter to him. Paul's mindset was submitted to the will of the Father. And he knew right where he would land. Look what it says in verse 18. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. He's telling them, if you hear news of my death, rejoice with me. Don't mourn, rejoice. Now, as Christians, do we mourn for people who die? Yes. But we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? I've done funerals for believers and unbelievers, and it's night and day. You do a funeral for an unbeliever, you're there to witness to the people who are there to respect the person who's died. But when you go to the funeral for a believer, it's graduation day. Amen? You're moving to a much better neighborhood. And praise God. And it's totally different. And you know what? He said, for me to suffer for Christ would be a privilege. And you and I need to start viewing death a little different. We may miss people, but we need to come to the place where we're not weeping uncontrollably and out of control. We're going to miss them, but we need to be thankful for the fact of where they've gone to. Death as a Christian is never a tragedy. Never. We should not describe it as a tragedy. So tragic that he died so young. It's so tragic that he had to leave this dunghill called earth and go into the presence of Almighty God where there's no more weeping or gnashing of teeth, where gold is asphalt, and he's hanging out with God forevermore. What a tragic event. It's not tragic, it's a blessing, amen? And do you know that we all die right on time? So if someone dies when they're 20 years old or 30 years old, or whenever it is, it's in God's perfect timing. We're never taken too soon. Through the cross of Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? Jesus has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and so have you and I if you've been born again. So, intimate fellowship with God, first thing it does is it gives us a totally different perspective on death. Guys, don't freeze me or... What is that about? Here, freeze my head and then later... Don't freeze me. Put me in a hefty bag, leave me on the curb and rejoice. I'm in heaven. (laughs) Amen? We got this wrong perspective. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Amen? And where we spend eternity is what really matters. And praise God that we know where we're going to land if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ. And it comes, again, from that intimate fellowship with God. Secondly, it ought to impact how we see our lives. Look at the example of Timothy, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And that was the example that Timothy followed. It was no longer what he wanted or what he desired. It wasn't his agenda, but God's agenda. Look at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. Now, I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Paul's heart was to send Timothy, but he knew that it would happen in God's timing. Now, let me talk about Timothy for a minute. Timothy probably was met by Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. More than likely, Paul is the one who led Timothy to the Lord. Timothy may have been led to the Lord by his mother, though. His mother was a a believer and his father was not. His grandmother was a believer. So he was raised being taught the truth, and either Paul led him to the Lord or his mother or his grandmother did. Now he was a young man. And this young man, 
met the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, when he came back through, took Timothy with him and discipled him. Now, this is something, as we talked about last Sunday, that is woefully lacking in the church today. We need to be discipling people. I'm too busy. I just don't have time. What's the Great Commission? Go therefore and make what? Disciples of all nations, not converts, disciples. And you know what? Paul poured his heart into Timothy's life, and it was reflected in the way that Timothy lived. And he says that I may be encouraged. He knew that if Timothy went, the word would come back to him, and he was anticipating that God was doing great things in Philippi. Now look what it says in verse 20. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The word like-minded in Greek is equal in soul. So they have the same mind. What kind of mind do you think they have? Well, Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind also be in you which is in, who? Christ Jesus. They both had the mind of Christ. And that's what they had in common. And sadly, look what he says. I have no one else, no one. There's not one other person, no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. They shared the mind of Christ. They had the same love for the Lord, the same love for the people. Of all the people he had trained, all the people he discipled, all the churches he had started, there was no one he could send with confidence like this young man named Timothy. This says a lot about Timothy's character. But it also tells me about Apostle Paul. Paul's in prison. Who has he just said is his closest friend in the world? Who is it? It's Timothy. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Paul's in prison. He's sending Timothy to the guys who are not in prison. I would be like, Timothy, just hang out with me for a while. You know, I, I'm in prison. I need some friends. You know, Nero might kill me tomorrow afternoon. Just, just hang out with me for a while. And instead, we see the selflessness of Paul that he wants to send Timothy. Now, here's the other thing I love. We see the heart of a pastor in Paul because Paul is sending a man, the best man he can find, to minister to the sheep in that church that he had planted. You know what? As a pastor, you never want to leave a ministry worse than you got it. You want to leave it better. You know, the hardest thing for me, twice I stepped down from being a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for 10 years in Lancaster and five years in San Jose. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to get up in front of a couple hundred teenagers and tell them that God's calling you to go do something else. Almost impossible for me. I just stood up there and was weeping the whole time, and Rob McCoy, the junior high pastor, was taking my place, had to get up and finish for me, because it's so hard to say goodbye to people you love. You're stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere, so that ain't going to happen here, all right? But here's the point, that, that that was Paul's heart, was I want to send back the guy who's most on fire. I don't want to give you anything less than one who is like-minded. I can't come myself, I'm in prison, so I'm going to send you the best person that I know of. Pastor's heart has more concern for his sheep than for himself. He's looking for those kinds of men to re- both replace him and to assist him. You know, I, I, you know, I'll embarrass our guys, but if you're new to our church, you know, we have seven assistant pastors here. And I, I'll tell you what, godly men. I'm so blessed. And like-minded guys that know my heart. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, the only problem you're going to have is which one of them to make the pastor because they could all do it. And that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. Amen? It ought to be those around you are like-minded. It says there in verse 21, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. All seek their own. 
Timothy stood faithful when nobody else would. All others were pursuing their own passions, their own desires, and their own interests. They were saying, not thy will, but my will. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will. They were saying, not thy will, but my will. He said, all others seek their own. You know what? In a room this size, many Christians in this room, many Christians in the world right now, only give God what's left of their time, resources, and passions. God, whatever's left at the end of the week, I'll give you. I'll show up at church once in a while. I don't really like those hard chairs, but I'll go. Got to reward me for that later, right? And you know what happens is, instead of giving God first fruits, we give God what's left. Does God deserve what's left or our best? What did He give us? Everything, amen? And God desires that we would give Him the best as well. The impact of true intimate fellowship with God is placing His will above our own. Whose will are you pursuing? Whose agenda are you following? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thought that enters your mind? What are you thinking about? How much more money you can make? How you can make things work? How you can turn this thing around? Or or do you begin your day thinking about the Lord? Spending time in His presence. Seeking Him above all else. Delighting yourself in Him. And if you do, He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean He'll give you what you want. He'll make you want what He wants. Amen? That's what happens when you give yourself first to Him. But you know His proven character, verse 22, that as a son with His Father, He served with me in the gospel. He had a proven, attested character. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it says there that He's a son and served in the gospel. The word served there is doula, where we get the word for a slave. He served the Lord with Paul. He didn't serve Paul, he served the Lord. And Paul discipled this young man who lived out a godly life before him. You know what, we're all called to both be disciples and make disciples. You know what, seek someone out to disciple you. Do that. Find somebody and say, you know what, can we get together once a week for lunch? Can we talk every other week and have prayer together? Somebody who you can be transparent with. At a pastor's conference, Chuck once said, you ought to have a few guys around you who know enough about you that can have you put in jail. You know, you ought to have some people that you're transparent with. Here's my struggles. Pray for me. You know what Satan wants you to do? Keep every struggle you have in darkness and let everybody, nobody else know. So you act like it's not a big deal. But God knows, and He's the one that really matters. Amen? And so have people that you can go to in confidence and say, man, can you pray for me? I'm struggling. We need to have those types of people around us, and we need to be that, people, that person for others as well. Then verse 23 and 24, Therefore, I hope to send him to you at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come also shortly. You know, Paul was ready to die. He desired to see the precious sheep in Philippi, but he left it in God's hands. Lord, if it's your will, I'll go, and if not, it's okay. Guys, an eternal perspective is so lacking in the church today. Every, you know, with the church, one of these days I'm going to play the Me Church video. Have you guys heard about this? You know, there's a thing where it talks about, and it's all about you. You know, how would you like to come to a church where every single person is calling the shots? And it's like, I want church to start when I get there. Okay, no problem. We'll wait till you arrive and that's when we'll start. I want this in a church. Okay, no problem. I want this in a church. Okay, no problem. And you know what? There are churches today that are doing that. They're sending out surveys and asking unbelievers what they want in a church and then giving them that instead of giving them what the Word says. 
May heaven forbid that we would do that. Instead, let's point people to the Lord. So the impact of intimate fellowship should impact the way we see death. It should impact the way we see our lives. Whose plans, whose passions, whose desires we seek to follow. Lastly, it should impact how we see illness, weakness, and difficulties in our life. Guys, illness, difficulties, and weakness are not an excuse for inactivity. Too often we say, I would serve God, but I'm struggling right now. Can I encourage you, you want to have a fruitful walk in the midst of difficulty, serve God in the midst of the struggle. If you're waiting for all the struggles to go away to serve God, you're not going to be serving God very often. If you're waiting for all your circumstances to be perfect, to be happy, you're never going to be happy. There's always going to be something that can be fixed or better. And the truth is that we need to come to the place where we look at, look at God through our circumstances and we look at the Lord and say, Lord, use this for your glory. Let's take a look at Epaphroditus. This man, last, these last few verses here, who was sent by the Philippians to minister to Paul's needs. It says in Philippians 4, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What happened was, Paul was under arrest, and so the people in Philippi heard about it, and they said, let's go send a care package to Paul. He's under arrest. And so they brought him the things that he would need to survive in prison. And Epaphroditus brought it to him. Now, this was a 700-mile trip, and there were no jets or cars. So this is an act of love, isn't it? You travel 700 miles to bring someone a care package? Praise God for that person. Well, Epaphroditus was that man. And it says here in verse 25, Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. My brother, he speaks about fellowship in the gospel. You know what, guys? We need to be hanging out with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? The Bible says the bad company corrupts good morals. I used to tell a youth group when I was a youth pastor, and I'll tell the youth over here, you become like who you hang out with. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at your friends. Look at your friends. If your friends are all into money, so are you. If your friends are all, are all jocks, you're a jock. If your friends are all computer geeks, so are you. Get over it, all right? But that's what happens is you become like the people you hang out with. And the same is true for you and I. And that's why we need to have brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And he says of Epaphroditus, my fellow brother. But not only is he a brother, he's a fellow worker. He's his brother fellowship in the gospel. He's a fellow worker, his companion in the furtherance of the gospel. You know, we not, need not only have people around us that are like-minded, but people have like passions when it comes to ministry. I love hanging out with people that are more on fire for God than me. How about you? I just want to be around them. I love it. Why? Because it rubs off, doesn't it? And I want to be around those people who have like passions and like burdens to the ones that I have. And the same ought to be true for us. And that, he said, this guy's my fellow brother. He's my fellow worker. And lastly, he's my fellow soldier. We, we're in a spiritual battle. And the faith of the, the gospel is, is what they were working toward. And Epaphroditus was a man valued as a partner in the work of the ministry. But then it says in verse 26, Since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
Epaphroditus came 700 miles, and guess what happened on the way? He got sick. Now, praise God, for Paul's sake, he didn't just quit and go home. He was sick, it says, almost unto death. He almost died. Now, this I find interesting, because who had a great healing ministry? Who healed a lot of people? Who did God use to heal a lot of people? Paul. Yet Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death. Was Paul napping or what happened? You know what it was? We need to learn to understand that men don't heal men, only God does. And that it's not how much faith we have or how gifted we are that brings about healing, but God's perfect will that brings about healing. And sometimes, we don't understand it, but sometimes God is going to be more glorified by not healing us than by healing us. Sometimes you're going to be more glorified by walking with us through difficulty than delivering us from the difficulty. Sometimes the greatest testimony in the world to the world around us is them seeing us going through very difficult times and yet glorifying God in the midst of it. They say, I want to know your God. What's different about you? That was Epaphroditus. Here he is traveling these 700 miles and difficulty and trials come and he goes sick almost unto death and yet he continues on. He would have died if it were not for the mercy of God. Not only on him, but me also, Paul said. God's murf, murf, mercy on Epaphroditus ministered to Paul. If he had died, Paul would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Not only because of the death of a valued brother and worker and soldier, but it would have happened when he was coming to minister to him. And I love the fact, again, that he was a man who was faithful in the midst of his sickness. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like God can't use you because you've got some kind of an ailment. Does God know you have it? Did God allow it to come into your life? You know what? I, don't, I wasn't going to do this, but I'll do it. Some, most of you, many of you know, I've had a parasite or something. I don't know what it is. Diagnosed as a parasite by some doctors. Other people told me it's not a parasite, but whatever it is, I've had radical stomach pain every day of my life since 1993. Now, I... Do you think I prayed about that a little bit? you think I've had other people pray for me? I have seen more doctors and have more stuff done to me than I would ever want to describe to anyone. In, out, up, down, things, drink, you know, nasty, gnarly, x-rays, just not good, okay? Had it all done, and God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to let me continue to have it. You know what? I praise God for it. You know why? Keeps me humble, keeps me broken, keeps me desperate. And you know what? Isn't that where we need to be? Praise God in the midst of the difficulty because it keeps our eyes on Him. Every time I get up to teach, I have to say, Lord, help me get through this. You know what? That's a good place to be, isn't it? Lord, help! That's a great prayer, by the way. Help! Good prayer. God hears that. And you know what? Here's Epaphroditus in sickness continuing to be faithful. And you know what? The enemy would love for you to say, well, I, you don't understand my difficulties. You don't understand the trials and struggles I'm going through. I would serve the Lord, but I've got these issues in my life. You know what? Serve God in spite of it. Amen? God knows they're there. Let God be glorified in your circumstances. Be faithful. Continue to serve the Lord. Look what it says there, verse 28. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. You know what? They didn't have telephones back then or telegraphs. And so they had heard that Epaphroditus got sick and the people in Philippi were worried. And so Paul said, I'm sending him back to you so you won't be worried about him anymore. And my sorrow will be lessened as you rejoiced when you see him return home. Verse 29. 
Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. You know, I like this. The word esteem there means to treat as precious. The people that have had the greatest impact on my life in ministry are people that have gone through the most difficulty and keep serving God. You guys have heard me use John Corson as an example many times. John Corson's wife died in a car accident. And then a few years later, his daughter died in a car accident on the same road. And I'll tell you what. I, there are a few people on this planet that minister to me more than him. We have his book. If you're going through grieving and you want to know what... We have his book in there about a future and a hope. You know, we have a future and a hope in Christ. And we have an eternal perspective. And we, we see people who continue to serve God. Not when we're on the cruise ship to heaven, but when they're going through difficulty. That's the greatest testimony to the world around us. It's serving God when things are difficult. You know, I've heard people say, sure, he's a Christian because everything is great. Let's see what happens when things get tough. And you know what? People are watching you guys. We had layoffs one time at work when I was still in sales. And, and at the time, the way they did the layoffs, I was going to be the first one laid off, even though God had blessed me and I was selling more than anybody. And, but the way it worked was seniority. And people came up and see, said, it's just not fair. You shouldn't be laid off. And you must, what are you gonna, you must be upset. And you, know, you just bought a house. What are you going to do? How are you going to support your family? And you know what? God's in control. Does God know? And you know, God used those circumstances to allow me to witness to a guy in the office who I later then baptized in my swimming pool and gave his life to the Lord. So bring on the layoff. You know, bring on the difficulty. Sometimes you pray for somebody, say, Lord, reach him however, do whatever it takes. And then he does it and we complain at the method he used. Right? Lord, do whatever you have to do. Okay, you've got cancer. I said, do whatever, but not that. Do whatever to him that you need to do. <laughs> Don't do it to me. I, I'm saved already. Do it to him. But sometimes God allows us to go through it so that they might see us keeping our eyes on Jesus in the midst of it. Amen? Without a test, there is no testimony. Intimate fellowship with God gives us a different perspective about how we view sickness and illness and trials and difficulty. When we have intimate fellowship with God, we see that they are all temporary. When we get to heaven, no cancer in heaven. We get to heaven, no, no problems with hearing, no problems with eyesight, no parasites in heaven, praise God. Amen? And praise God, that's all true. But in the midst of this, whatever the difficulty may be that you're going through, let God use it for His glory instead of murmuring and complaining and acting as if God doesn't care about you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Amen? This is how much he loves you. And whatever you're going through, God will use it for his glory if you'll let him. Last verse. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This guy was close to death and he didn't stop. He was close to death and he could have had an excuse. He could have come home he could have been carried back in a stretcher and said, you know what, I, I went and I got most of the way and I got sick. But praise God that in the midst of his sickness, he carried on. I did a funeral, just, and we'll close with this. I did a funeral just a few months back for a guy who was my worship leader in the youth group in San Jose. He was 30 years old when he died. One of the most gifted worship leaders, one of the most wonderful guys. And he would lead worship for us. He had a brain tumor for years. And he would lead worship for us. His hands would be shaking. And, but he'd get up there and just lead worship. And God just blessed it. 
And you know, I got a call from his wife that he was dying and he wanted to see me because he wanted me to do his funeral. And said, and I get over there and you know what? He's ministering to me. I go there to minister to him and he's ministering to me. He's telling me, Pastor Dave, I just want you to know what a blessing you've been in my life. Can I pray for you? I'm like, what? I'm here to pray for you. This is Epaphroditus. I'm sick unto death, but it's okay because I know where I'm going. And you know what was awesome? Was he, the entire time we were there, we sang worship songs together. He put his hand on my chest. He could barely talk. He said, Pastor Dave, do me a favor. Preach the gospel and bring it with heat because we're going to have unsaved family that's there. Can you do that for me? I said, Daniel, I'll do that for you. <laughs> and you know what's awesome? People got saved at his funeral. And he led worship at his funeral because they had it on videotape. And he led worship. And that's how Christians ought to die. We die well, amen? Because we know where we're headed. And in the midst of difficulty, we ought to be able to minister to others, not woes me. And you know what? Don't you ever dare say somebody doesn't have enough faith when they haven't been healed. Don't you dare ever do that. That is one of the biggest lies of the enemy going around today. Well, if you had more faith, God would heal you. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. Did he lack faith? He's Paul, right? Amen? God brings those things into our life that he might be glorified. Let's let him. Amen? So, in closing, the impact of intimate fellowship, it ought to impact the way that we see death. It's a source not of fear, but of rejoicing. It ought to impact how we see our lives, whose plans, whose passions, whose desires we seek to follow. And it ought to impact how we respond to illness and weakness and difficulty and trials in our life. It's not an excuse for, an, for inactivity, but it's an opportunity for God to work. Guys, this is only possible if you're hanging out with Him. You can't do it otherwise. You cannot have joy in difficulty if you're not hanging out with Him. You cannot have the right perspective on death if you're not hanging out with Him. You can't have the right perspective on illness if you're not hanging out with Him. You won't have the right perspective on life and your job and your career and your family and your children if you're not hanging out with Him. Let's start hanging out with Him more. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. Lord, I pray You'd help each of us to draw closer to You than ever before. To know what it means to have intimate fellowship with the Creator of the universe. Lord, may we walk so close to you that we can hear you whisper. Lord, often you're yelling at us and we're so busy with the things of life we don't hear you. Lord, I pray we'd walk and that still small voice would speak and we would say, yes, Lord. Lord, may you give us a greater hunger for your word. Lord, may we make prayer more of a priority in our lives. Lord, may we look around for those we can disciple and those who can disciple us. Father, may we give ministry away. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give us an eternal perspective on every aspect of life. You're a great and awesome God. You know what, Lord? We can't wait to see you. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be around your throne forevermore. Until then, Lord, when you return, may you find us busy about your work, living lives with an eternal focus. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.